imagined in your own mind how amazing and awe-inspiring it must have been to hold a conversation with Jesus Christ. Now, personally, I have fantasized about doing that many times. It has always been intriguing to me how Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh, spoke face-to-face with human beings just like you and I. And oftentimes I wish that I could have lived those 2,000 years ago so I could have had the opportunity to talk with Jesus or even hear Him teach one of His parables or preach one of His sermons. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and verse 8, Paul sums up our condition well when he says that I was born out of due time. In other words, I just missed the boat. I was born a little too late to have the opportunity to speak with Jesus, to live at the same time that Jesus did. And I guess you could say that's true for us. We missed the boat by about 2,000 years, uh, but we missed it nonetheless. But fortunately, God has preserved those conversations for us so that we can have those conversations with Jesus, or so that we can rather be a fly on the wall, if you will, to some of those conversations that Jesus had with those who lived during his life. So if you'll let me, I'd like to begin a series, uh, probably consisting of a couple of Sundays, where we will examine in depth some of the conversations that Jesus had with people while he was living on the earth. Uh, The title will be Conversations with the Christ. And simply, we will go through the book of John, uh, and we won't cover every single conversation. Uh, That would last for months and months. But we will have what you might call select studies in the book of John, and we will notice some of the conversations that Jesus had with those who were alive. And of course, the first conversation we're going to look at It's found in John chapter 1, and it can be summed up as the chapter in which Jesus selects his first disciples. So if you'll open up with me to John chapter 1, the text that John Dunn read for us this morning, we will begin looking at our first conversation. Before we do that, though, I would like to share with you why I think it's important. I mean, we can all go home and read the book of John ourselves, and we can all uh, study what Jesus said in the book of John, and I hope that we will. But I think it's important to go through this study as a congregation for a couple of reasons. The first reason that we should look at these conversations together is because looking at how Jesus dealt with people will help us to better learn how we should deal with people. I mean, we've got the Son of God in the flesh dealing with other people, Uh, it's worth looking at how he did that. How did Jesus get out of certain situations that others put him in? How did Jesus deal with difficult things? How did he respond to criticism? All of these things are things that we can learn by looking at these conversations that Jesus had with others. And probably the most important reason why we should do this study is because it will help us to see what Jesus actually said. Oftentimes, Jesus... Uh, is quoted as saying all kinds of different things, teaching all kinds of different things that sometimes, unfortunately, we never read about in our Bible. 
Jesus never taught certain things, but there are many misconceptions, many misunderstandings about what Jesus actually taught. So going through and, and reading and noticing some of the things that he said will be very beneficial in having a better understanding of what Jesus actually taught. Uh, so I hope that you see the importance of doing this study with me. I hope that we will benefit together from it. Uh, and without further ado, let's go ahead and dive right in to John chapter 1, beginning in verse number 35. Now, the text has already been read for us, so we will break it down into sections. So beginning in verse number 35, we'll read down through verse 38. Uh, John records again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus and walking, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, uh, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated teacher, Where are you staying? The first phrase I want us to notice or make a mental note of in our mind is the phrase, what do you seek? Now, in reality, our whole lives can be boiled down to this simple yet important question. What is it that we truly seek? Now, I want us first to notice the immediate context, and that will be the pattern for uh, this entire sermon and, and the next. We're going to address the immediate context, and then we're going to make application. So the immediate context here, uh, as John describes it, as two disciples of John the Baptizer, often referred to as John the Baptist, are walking with John, and they see Jesus walk by. And John the Baptist sees him and says, Behold the Lamb of God. In other words, that's the man that you need to be following. That's the reason that I'm here. And two of his disciples notice that, and they say, okay, well, I will follow him. So they begin to walk behind Jesus, the text says, and Jesus notices them walking, and he says, what do you seek? What? In other words, what can I do for you? And then notice what they say. In my mind, this looks like, at first, the biggest question dodge I've ever seen. Jesus asked the tough question, what do you seek? And they say, um... Is your house around here? Or are you just visiting? Where are you staying? Now, at first, like I said, it seems like they were trying to avoid the question. But in reality, they were asking because, well, if they were going to follow Jesus, Jesus' home was about to become their home. They weren't simply changing the subject, but they were saying, uh, where, where's our home base going to be? I'm ready to follow you. Where do I need to go? Where are you staying? So the disciples wanted to be followers of Christ. Now that's the immediate context. Now making application is certainly not hard from that phrase, what do you seek? As I said a moment ago, our lives can be summed up with that very simple question. What do we seek? Now what we seek in life determines a lot about how we live our lives. What we seek determines our goals. It determines our actions. It determines our focus and our energy. Uh, for example, if our goal in life is to make as much money as we can, well, then I'm going to set goals that would help me to do that. I'm going to go to college for however long I need to. I'm going to uh, acquaint myself with the people that can help me get a high-paying job or whatever the case may be. 
my goals are going to be aligned so that I can get a lot of money. If my goal is to become famous, well, my goals that I set are going to be, well, they're going to help me to achieve that goal. I think we understand uh, that simple concept. But if my goal is to be more like Christ, if my goal is to serve God to the best of my ability, well, then my goals are going to be set up in such a way that I can hopefully do that. That I can hopefully be more and more like Christ each and every day. So what we seek has a lot to do with our lives. Now, here in 1 John, uh, we see that these disciples of John the Baptizer are seeking Jesus. So it's very evident that all of humanity should seek Jesus. We should seek after Him to be more like Him, to know His Word. And hopefully, our end goal should be to seek to spend our eternity with Him. But what are some other things, in the general sense, that we should seek? Now, there's really two ways, or two categories of things, that we should seek. There is what you might call the main thing, which is God. And there are what you might call subcategories of things that we should seek. Now, as we move through, hopefully it will become clearer as to what I mean by that. If we turn back to the book of Proverbs, we see that the proverbial writer tells us to seek wisdom. Now, if you've ever read the book of Proverbs, you know that the book of Proverbs can be summed up in one word, and that word is wisdom. The whole entire book, really, is about finding or acquiring wisdom. Now, if we turn back to chapter 4 and verse number 7, we see uh, that, state, uh, that idea uh, simply stated. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse number 7. The, the Proverbs writer says, Wisdom is the principal thing. In other words, it's a very important thing. He says, Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Proverbs writer says wisdom is the principal thing. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Now, if we turn the page, just a few pages over to chapter 16, we see again the Proverbs writer stressing the importance of acquiring wisdom or seeking wisdom. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 16. The Proverbs writer says, How much better to get wisdom than gold? And to get understanding is also to be chosen rather than silver. In other words, don't seek riches. Seek knowledge. Seek wisdom. I don't know about you, but uh, money seems to be pretty important in the world. We all need money to survive. But the Proverbs writer says, don't worry about money. Seek wisdom. Get understanding. So Christians should seek wisdom. Now, if we turn over to the New Testament, to the book of James, in James chapter 1, James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives liberally or generously. So, wisdom was important back then in the time of Solomon, and it's important now in the New Testament church. So, first, Christians should seek uh, wisdom. But we should also seek heavenly things. In the book of Colossians, chapter 3, and verse number 1, Paul teaches that the things of heaven are much more important than the things in the earth. Colossians, chapter 3, and verse number 1, Paul says, If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, 
sitting at the right hand of God. So we should seek wisdom, but we should also seek heaven. Paul says, seek the things in heaven where Christ is. So in other words, seek Christ and seek heaven. Seek to be with Christ. So we should seek wisdom. We should seek heavenly things. We should also seek the well-being of others. Now, this list could go on and on, but this is the last thing that you might call, or the last subject that might fall into this subcategory we talked about. And I think it's worth mentioning to look after others, to seek the well-being of other people. If we turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 10, and verse number 24, here Paul also says, Let no one seek his own, but let each one the other's well-being. In other words, don't worry so much about yourself, but rather worry about other people. Seek the well-being of other people. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is often called the love chapter, Paul says the same thing. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 5. Talking about love here, he says, that Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. It is not provoked, and it thinks no evil. Now, we know that Jesus taught to love one another. Love is probably the most taught theme in all of the New Testament. Love one another, love God, and love yourself enough to make sure you spend eternity with God. And so love, if we have love, as the Bible teaches we should, then Paul says we should seek the well-being of others. If we love others, we will seek after them. So those are just a few things the Bible teaches that we should seek. But the main thing, as mentioned a moment ago, that we should seek is God. We should seek after God with all of our being. In Acts chapter 17, we read, really, the purpose of man. If anyone ever asks you, what is the purpose of life? There are really two places that you can look in the Bible that will answer that question. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 13, and here in Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, in verse number 26, Paul says, And he, being God, has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Now, verse 27 says why God did this. God made people so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Paul says the reason that God made all the people in the world, the reason that God made all the creation in the world that he did is so that man might seek after God. So the point of life is to seek God. That should be the number one thing that we seek. So going back to John chapter 1, continuing with our lesson this morning of conversations with the Christ, the first thing that we've noticed is that Jesus invites his followers, or rather he asks them the question, what do you seek? So we've got to make up in our minds right now what it is that we truly seek. Now, if we continue reading in John chapter 1, we will notice the next point of conversation. We'll pick up in verse chapter, excuse me, verse 39. 
So they ask in verse 38, where are you staying? Verse 39, he says, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remembered with, or remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. So the next point of conversation I want us to notice is when Jesus says, Come and see. The disciples of John ask him, Where are you staying? And Jesus says, Come and see. Now, in today's world, that probably doesn't happen very much. First of all, it would be weird if somebody came up to us that we didn't know and asked us where our house is. That would probably be the end of the conversation. And we certainly wouldn't tell them our address, right? Well, yeah, I'm down the street just a couple blocks away. Come on over. Come and see. But that's what Jesus says. These disciples ask him where he's staying. He invites them over. Come check out the place. Now, again, dealing with the immediate context, and we might remember that Jesus, the disciples came to Jesus and wanted to be his disciples. Now we see Jesus accepting that request. They put forth the idea of coming and being with him at his house. Jesus says, okay, that sounds fine. Come and see. Come on over. He accepts their uh, willingness to be disciples. Now, making application, uh, we should never be afraid to come and see. Now, I hope this isn't too contrived, you might say, or too forced, but continuing with the idea of come and see, I want us to think about our faith. Come and see. Investigate. Check everything out. Jesus says, come on over and get a feel for the place. Maybe even get a feel for me. See who I am. Remember, they had just met. These disciples of John see Jesus walking down the street, and they want to get to know him better. So they come over. And the same is true with our faith. We should get to know our faith. We should investigate our faith. Now, if we turn over to the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, and verse number 1, excuse me, verse number 16, I apologize. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, and verse, beginning in verse 16, we see that God wants good investigators. God wants us, as Christians, to be good investigators. Now, we've got to get some context of the time here. Uh, this was in the first century when there were miraculous gifts taking place. This was at the time where people could truly speak in tongues or other languages. People were prophesying about things and so on and so forth. So we've got to bear that in mind. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16... Let's see what Paul says, and we'll notice uh, down, really, verse 21 will be emphasis, but for context, beginning in 16. Paul says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks for this, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast what is good. And then he says, Abstain from every form of evil. Paul here, writing to Christians, says, test all things. Again, the context is prophecies and works of the Spirit. We know that because Paul says, do not quench the Spirit. 
So he's talking about the miraculous, but there's certainly application to today. The same is true when we, uh, when we uh, study the Scriptures and come to a faith in God, right? Test all things. Make sure our faith is sound. Now, if you'll let me, I'd like to share with you what I will most certainly say is an opinion, but I think it's worth mentioning. I have noticed that most of the time, people who are quote-unquote raised in the church, uh, which isn't really possible, but I think we all understand what I mean, a lot of the times they are the ones who are a lot more likely to abandon their faith. And I'll say right now that I'm one of those people. Some of my earliest memories are in a church building. From the time I was born, I was attending Sunday school. Uh, I was, quote-unquote, in the church. Of course, as a child, you can't really be a Christian, but that's another lesson. But getting back to what I was saying, those who sort of just inherited their faith are oftentimes a lot more likely to abandon it when things get tough. Now, it's the people that have studied and searched and investigated and put in the work to acquire their faith that usually are more willing to hold on to it, to cling to it, because they've searched out the Scriptures. They've investigated. They've done the task, or they've completed the task of making sure what they believe is right. And sometimes people who uh, just grow up attending services, like I said a moment ago, almost inherit their faith. Well, I've always just done that. So yeah, I believe. I believe in God. Now again, as always, I'm speaking in generalities. Like I said myself, I'm one of those people. Uh, but I've noticed that those who really put in the work to seek and study and investigate are much less likely to abandon their faith. But that's just my opinion, like I said a moment ago, something I thought I would share with you to encourage you and, and encourage me to really dig in and investigate. Make sure we know what we believe and why. And not just listen to somebody like me who's willing to tell you uh, what the Bible says, but look for yourself. Test all things, Paul says. Now, going all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, and keeping with this idea, there in Deuteronomy, God, talking about prophets, He says that if somebody among you claims to be a prophet and what they say will happen doesn't happen, don't listen to that person. God says, don't fear that person who claims to be a prophet, makes a prophecy, and then their prophecy doesn't come true. They're not a true prophet. So even back in Deuteronomy, God urged His people to test things. If there's someone claiming to be a prophet, see if they really are. Don't just believe them, but notice what they say and notice if it comes true. So again, God always wants good investigators. God always wants people that are willing to dig in and to search for the truth. Jesus says, come and see. Come and investigate. Now there's an old poem that I want to share with you that you might have heard before. It's, it's a pretty popular one, but if you have heard it, I'm sure it won't hurt to hear it twice. It's about the old anvil of God's Word. You see, I've heard many times that you should never be afraid of the truth. The truth has nothing to hide. Don't fear the truth. And now there's a poem. It's attributed to a man named John Clifford, who, to be honest with you, I don't know much about. But this is the poem that he wrote. 
He says, Last eve I paused beside the blacksmith's door and heard the anvil ring, the vesper chime. Then looking in, I saw upon the floor old hammers worn with beating years of time. How many anvils have you had, said I, to wear and batter all these hammers so? Just one, he said, and then with twinkling eye, the anvil wears the hammers out, you know. So I thought, the anvil of God's word, for ages skeptic blows have beat upon, yet though the noise of falling blows was heard, the anvil is unharmed, the hammers gone. You see, God's word is not afraid of truth. It's not afraid of investigation. In fact, it encourages it. Test all things. Make sure that your faith is sound and make sure it's based on truth, the Word of God. And if you truly investigate and if you put in the time, you will find, without a doubt, the Word of God holds to the be true every time. So Jesus says, come and see. Now finally, if we go back to John chapter 1, we'll notice the very last point of conversation, and that will be simply in verse number 43. John chapter 1 and verse number 43. The Bible says, The following day Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, again, addressing the immediate context, I will point out that it says the next day this happened. So this wasn't all one conversation, but nonetheless, it was something that Jesus spoke. So it fits with our theme. I do want to acknowledge that it was not all in the same day or same time, but it was still what Jesus said. And what exactly Jesus said was, follow me. So first Jesus says, what do you seek? You've got to determine in your own mind what it is that you really want. What is really important to you. Secondly, Jesus says, come and see. Investigate it. Make sure that's really what you want. Are you sure? Check it out first. Make sure that everything adds up. And if you find it to be true, and you will, if you really study and try to put all the pieces together, Jesus says, follow me. Once you've done these things, then you can follow me. I heard a story one time of a woman who went to a concert, the fancy kind, not, not a Led Zeppelin concert or something, but the concert where you wear a tie uh, to see a world-renowned pianist. And as this woman listened to this pianist, she could not believe her ears. It was the most beautiful music she had ever heard. So after the concert, she was lucky enough to meet the pianist who was playing the music. And she comes up to him and she says, Sir, that was the best music I've ever heard. I believe I would give my life to play that well. The pianist looked at her and he said, I did. You see, if we want to be good at something... It takes our life. It takes complete dedication. That pianist didn't get so good overnight. It took his life. And if we want to be good followers of Christ, if we want to be faithful Christians, it takes our life. There's no way to get around that. If we're willing to dedicate some of our time and some of our effort and some of our life to God, that's good, but unfortunately it will never be enough. The Bible teaches that once we become Christians... Our old man has died. That person doesn't exist anymore. Yet sometimes, unfortunately, we try to cling to him and to breathe life back into him. 
But if we want to truly follow Christ in the way that he would have us to do it, it takes complete change. Now, I will say that you should be weary of someone who seems to completely change overnight. Because that's not how people work. People don't just change completely overnight. Change starts with the little things. It starts with making mental decisions or small mental uh, choices that over time will lead to drastic change. So if we want a huge faith, it starts with the little things. It starts with the things that we can do right now. The changes that we can make in our everyday lives. So friends, if you would like to follow Christ, if you've determined that following Christ and being a faithful child of God is what you seek, we invite you to check it out. Make sure that's what you want to do. And if that turns out to be the case, and we pray and hope that it is, then friends, Jesus says, follow me. So this morning, if you need to follow Jesus, or if you're having trouble uh, with that task, with being a faithful Christian, uh, we ask that you would please let it be known as together we stand and say.